0: Future episodes will record around the Roofstocks head coach, a college student evaluating properties, and of course, an army recruiter who discovered private money. Again, do me a favor, check out Resilient Real Estate Investing. On with the show.
1: All right. It is Friday. And as you know, we do our Friday financial wrap up with Mr. Michael Zuber. How are you, Michael?
0: I'm doing well, man. Uh, Every day is Saturday. So thank you so much.
1: Every day is Saturday. I love it. So today is October the 7th, Friday. Um, Today, let's talk about what happened this week with the job numbers. What did you see this week with job numbers?
0: Yeah, so we got the jobs number this morning. This is uh, definitely the most important number of the week. Uh, They came in really hotter than expected. So what happened today? Basically, we got a report about how many jobs were created in the month of September. Heading into this, there was expectation of 250,000. Uh, They came in at uh, 288,000, so above expectations. Why is this important? Well, the Fed needs to cause pain. They've always said pain is coming. And, you know, you can look at the economy, see lots of sectors struggling, but jobs are still plentiful. Uh, We did get the JOLTS report this week, uh, which was important. It showed a million jobs openings are now gone. So you can see the job market starting to get closer. We went from roughly 2 Openings per every unemployed to now 1.65. So, again, it's the Fed is getting what they want, but not, you know, probably not fast enough for their perspective. So, in essence, the market is still strong. In essence, we're going to likely get 75 basis points uh, here on November 1st or November 2nd. On top of the jobs number, the big headline, the one that's going to really push the Fed to keep going was the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate last month ticked up it went from 3.6 to 3.7. And let's be very clear, the Fed needs to cause the unemployment rate to go up. Unfortunately, at least in the Fed's perspective, it went down and it didn't go down a little. It went down two basis points. So it went down to 3.5%, which is now a record low. Right. We, we have seen 3.5 be- before, but we're back at that rate, which is just It's just like giving the Fed permission to keep raising rates. Well, damn it, the job market's three and a half. We need it to go to four and a half or five and a half. Let's just keep raising rates. So it is coming. And then the last thing in the jobs number was the wage number. This came in a little bit better than expected. Expectations were for an annualized rate of 5.1. It came in at five. Um, But again, from the Fed's perspective, normal wage inflation is more like 3%. So again, we are elevated. It's not as bad. It's not nearly as bad as I expected. I actually expected it to be quite higher at 5.3, so I was wrong. Uh, but it's still it's still elevated. And really, to net all this out, the Fed's going to look at this number and go, oh, shoot, we've got more work to do, at least in my opinion. So yeah, I'm guessing the 10-year notes up today and stocks are down uh, would be my guess.
1: Very interesting. Now, you did a report, and I want to just, um, for people that have been watching the show recently that are more in tune because everything shifted so much over the last several months you did a whole report about 50 years of interest rates Mm -hmm. you talked about from the 1970s 1980s you talked about this and it was almost like what's to come would so with the actual wage inflation what was the wage inflation like back in the late 70s early 80s yeah. So one
0: again, it's really interesting. It's you know the 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 future you know whatever it is. The future rhymes with the past, or whatever they have to say. A lot of people look at the '70s and or they talk about Paul Volcker and interest rates, where you know he took rates to eighteen percent. But what they fail to realize is the two or three years that preceded the 1981 interest rate shock, wages were up eight, nine, and eleven percent. We saw true wage inflation, and. Um, the thing that I think scares the Fed the most is wage inflation. It's called the wage wage inflation spiral, and the reason that's a problem is because what once wages kind of take over, it ripples through everything we do. Right sure. when you're Chipotle, your McDonald's, your uh, Marriott hotel, your airline, you know, your truck driver. When everybody needs to make more money to pay their bills, everything goes up, and the wage inflation spiral is nasty, and it's actually what caused Paul Volcker to. Uh, you know, to raise rates and ultimately cause 10% unemployment. So um, I think wage inflation is coming. I certainly, I hope it doesn't get that bad. But, you know, we need some, right? We need real wage growth, not nominal. Right now we have nominal wage growth. And again, nominal is just headline number. But if you take inflation and subtract it from nominal, it's actually going backwards. So most Americans are actually going backwards, which is horrible. We need to fix that. So we need positive real wage growth, but we don't need lots of real wage growth, if that makes sense, because that, that, could, that could mean a lot of bigger problems down the line.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting. So um, thank you for that. So let's talk about interest rates. Interest rates for our business, real estate. I know we, we talk, the national headlines talk a lot about Fed rate. What did you see this last week in interest rates and just kind of your thoughts on summarizing the week?
0: Man, interest rates are bananas. If you tuned in the last week, and again you have a playlist on my channel called ty TY, check it out. Uh the 10-year note hit four percent. And then by this time by this week, I think it was Tuesday, it might have been Wednesday, went all the way down to 3.6. That is a wild move in two trading days. And uh, you know, fast forward to Friday, I think we're back up at 3.87 or something like that. So Uh, the 10 year note, which is what I'm quoting here has been all over the place. We have seen, we have seen monthly moves in a day, four or five days in a row. They're not supposed to move this much. Uh, there's a lot of wacky stuff going on in the bond market. Big rate moves up and down. Uh, I think they do trend higher from here. You know, next week we get the CPI number. I think that's going to be hot. Uh, so I think rates are going up from here, but yeah, it's been a wild week. Like if you talk to the mortgage industry, Monday and Tuesday were amazing days, down, right? Because last week we peaked over seven percent thirty-year money. Uh, I wouldn't shock me if we're back to that today, if not probably next week. But, dear, yeah, rates. If you like it, lock it. Don't take don't take interest rate risk now. That's for sure.
1: When what Monday and Tuesday? What were. Like what kind of rates did you hear? So I,
0: again, I talked to a couple of mortgage guys. He's like, wow, we could get, you know, six, seven, six, seven, two. So it went, it went down quite a bit. That's, that's a wild move for two days.
1: 30 uh, basis that, points.
0: 30 basis points. Yeah, it's, it's gone now uh, after Wednesday and Thursday and, and likely today's move. But yeah, you don't, you're not supposed, it's not supposed to move that much. It's, and it is, it's, it's wild.
1: And it moves because of uncertainty, right? Because people are uncertain what's going to happen in the economy. Is that accurate?
0: Uncertainty and or fear. I mean, it's, it's kind of one and a half does the other, right? Being uncertain maybe is one emotion, but I think fear is a, is a big driving force as well.
1: Now, we also, I want to just stay on interest rates for one more question for you. So in August, we did see it dip down, and I believe it was somewhere in the mid five, mid to upper fives. Is yeah, that- we,
0: saw it, we saw it. It was late July, early August. Uh, we did see it dip under, under six. Absolutely. I think 599 nine for sure. Um, yeah, and that was really all based on what people were calling the Fed pivot. But there's basically a talk track that the Fed's going too fast and is going to break the economy. But as we've seen subsequent numbers, the economy is doing just fine, as in the jobs number. We we added 288,000 jobs in September, right? If the economy was weakening, we would get a negative number, right? 288 is still down from the month before. It's below the last month, five months, but it's still positive. It's still more than a quarter of a million
1: jobs were created. You know,
0: the Fed's going to go higher. It's just how it's going to come.
1: That's how it's going to come. Okay. Well, let's move to our next topic, which is inventory. One of our favorites, right? So low inventory has been a theme of the last two and a half, three years, kind of in the COVID economy, pandemic. What did you see this week in inventory?
0: Yeah, unfortunately, it's going exactly as I called. And if people go back on my channel, you will hear that I called July 20th. As the date that we went from phase one to phase two, what happened after July 20th, we had three or four weeks of FOMO from sellers just throwing stuff on the market wish pricing, all of that. Now what we're seeing is we've now clearly entered winter, we've left, we've left September, we're now in October q4 is going to be terrible. You're seeing cancellations, listing cancellations, not buyer contracts, but listing cancellations. You're now also starting to see expireds, right? They listed in July, it's expired now. So we're seeing inventory, at least in most markets, come down. We are starting to see a bifurcation. Uh, I am seeing, at least in my market, the luxury market is starting to stack up uh, because that market is dead, right? A luxury property in Fresno you know, was okay at 3%. It's not at 7 um, but yeah, when you look at total inventory in most markets, inventory is going down. Inventory in my buy box went up a lot—July, August, a little bit September—but now is down to, you know, almost nothing again. So it's it's um it's it's interesting to watch. But yeah, I think inventory falls in October, falls in November, falls in January. We'll see what happens in the housing market in March. The next, this is all going to just be housing depression until March fifteenth when we see if we're coming out of this or not. And and I have no idea at the moment, but inventory is down in most areas.
1: Yeah. It, and I would completely agree with you. I look at hot sheets every day. I look at the MLS and every day I'm seeing cancellations, more withdrawn canceled than expired, yeah. but absolutely the end of the month, we saw big numbers in expired listings and or every day, every week, a lot of cancellations. Let me ask you. So just to really be clear on your thought. You believe this trend of low inventory continues through the beginning of the year into potentially February, March, and then we'll see what the spring market looks like after that. Is that pretty accurate?
0: Yeah, it's exactly accurate. And again, it's, it's for me, March 15th is easy because that's usually the start of the spring selling season. But more importantly, that gives us six months to figure out where we are. Are we in a nasty recession? Are we in World War three? Um, where where are gas prices? Is the unemployment above or below five percent? You know, all of, and again, after March 15th, you may hear me say we're going into a housing crash price. You may hear me say, Oh, the Fed just lowered rates, we're gonna build out of this slowly. I have no idea, but I know between now and then I'm I'm still saying that prices are pretty sticky at the national level, but we'll see. Uh, I do feel great about my housing crash call on transactions. I yep. think we're going to get to 50% drop uh, sometime over the next six months, but uh, we'll see about price. I won't I won't really have any thoughts on price until March.
1: Very interesting. Well, I, I feel like you've been so spot on, especially the last ninety, the last 180 days, the last six months, nine months. We've been talking about this for the last year and a half. Let's talk about Fed Pivot. What is a Fed Pivot? What are your thoughts? What did you see this week? Yeah, the
0: Fed pivot is a very important topic, and there are three Fed pivots that we have to talk about. And when you hear somebody talking about you need to understand which of these three they're talking about. Fed pivot number one, example, Bank of Australia. The market expected 50 basis points. The Central Bank of Australia gave them 25. So they under-delivered. That is pivot number one. In the U.S. market, the market now expects, I think, at 92% likelihood of 75 on November 2nd. If the Fed gives us only 50, that is a pivot, in my opinion. If the Fed delivers less than the market expects, pivot number one. Pivot number two is a pause. I personally believe, as I'm calling in on, on October 7th, we get 75, we get 50, then we get 25, then we get a pause. So for me, the pause is February, March. Others are saying, including Bostic, who's a Fed president, he wants to pause after December. All right, Fed pivot number two. And then there's the folks like Elon Musk or Kathy Wood who are saying the Fed not, doesn't need to deliver less, doesn't need to pause, but needs to cut. I don't see it. But everybody deserves their right, their opinion. So those are when you hear Fed pivot, you must step back and go, are you under delivering? Are you pausing or are you cutting? So in my opinion, they don't under deliver. They do 75, 50, 25, which I think the market will expect. Do they pause early, meaning pause after December? I think they wait one more meeting and I don't see a cut tie until 2024. Let me just talk about a cut. For people that are wishing for a cut, I want you to realize what you are asking for. The only way the Fed cuts today, because they would be risking their reputation, is if we have a market accident. And I am not talking about a little market accident, I'm talking about a big, nasty implosion threatening to take down the entire financial system. Be careful what you wish for. I hope and pray and wish they don't cut until 2024 i hope they are on pause all of next year i want one rate increase in their first meeting whenever that is january or february and then i want them to stay flat because that means we can start rebuilding from a better spot to get a cut early next year means something big broke and that frightens me
1: interesting very interesting so when elon musk and when kathy when they're when they're when Elon Musk is requesting this, is it in the self-interest of he just wants to sell more Teslas and more solar solar systems? Or what is what is the position? I
0: in? You know, I think a lot of people talk their own book. There are a lot of billionaires on TV. Elon Musk is just one of many whining and crying because they're in a business that's very loan heavy. Right. There is a billionaire yesterday who was whining and I look him up because I don't know. I, you know, I don't know these people. I'm like, why is he on my TV? So I look him up shockingly he's a real estate guy yeah i bet you i bet you're whining because you know maybe you have some adjustable rate mortgages or some bridge debt and suddenly you're gonna to have to write a big check there's a lot of people talking their own book teslas are expensive lots of people get loans uh a tesla at a eight or nine percent interest more on a auto loan is very different than three so yep. yeah i'm 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 going to assume that and kathy wood she's buying these companies that don't make any money that live on debt that maybe are something in the future, but a lot of them go broke if they got to borrow at eight or nine. So yeah, I think there's a lot of billionaires, stock people, lending people, talking their own book. So that's, again, I could be wrong, but that's my opinion.
1: Yep. Okay. Very good. Well, we're going to keep watch, keep our eye on that. I want to ask you, this is a side note. So with oil, Just a conversation, kind of a household conversation, talking with a couple of my buddies, talking with a couple of people, vendors, contractors, guys that work for us. Everybody was complaining this week about oil, right? You and I are probably locked in our office all day, making phone calls, doing deals and, you know, on Zoom meetings. What happened with oil this last week? And this is a curveball. We didn't talk about this pre-roll, so.
0: No, it's awesome. Yeah, OPEC. Uh, OPEC uh, is basically a cartel. Uh, You know, we're raised in schools or uh, certainly an economist, uh, you know, to learn that cartels are bad, but basically OPEC's a cartel and they get to set, um, basically they set the price of oil and uh, OPEC is not happy with oil below 90. It was actually below 80 earlier this month or earlier last month. And basically they came out and said, we're going to lower oil production by 2 million barrels. Uh, which is a problem because again, the, the oil market is very tight. So oil is already up, I think 10 bucks okay. in fairness. It's not quite that bad, right? 2 million is a scary number. It turns out to be more like eight or 900,000 because they weren't producing to their original target. So they were already un- under a million barrels. So really a 2 million barrel is, you know, the, the other million was never there, but you're still talking about, you know, oil production being down 800,000 barrels a day. And, uh, This is going to hurt. Uh, You know, we have the midterm elections, November 2nd, I think, and uh, gas prices could be going up in the face and that could hurt the incumbents. And I would think that OPEC did that on purpose, frankly. I, you know, I think that I think they were not happy uh, with our current president and what what he's done, because he came out and was very anti Saudi Arabia. And then he went over to Saudi Arabia hat in hand and said, help us. I think they see an opportunity to, to inflect some political pain and they're doing it. So, and that's in the face of Europe. I mean, Europe's in even more trouble. So I think gas prices go up, which gas prices are head, headline inflation. So it, it, you know maybe peak inflation is not over, which is frightening to say.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting times. And then so for our last topic, pre-announcements and then AMD. Who is AMD? And explain what pre-announcements are.
0: So AMD is a chip maker, right? They compete with Intel uh, most recently, or is their big competitor. And uh, what is a pre-announcement? So everybody who, who trades stocks know there's this thing called earning seasons, right? They have these earning dates, they come in and they, they parade their financial reports. A pre-announcement is a company coming out going, whoops, we missed, right? right? We told you we were going to do X, we're going to do X minus. So a pre-announcement is not a good thing most of the time. And AMD came out with the nastiest pre-announcement I have seen in a long time. Uh, They lowered uh, their margin 4%, which means they're going to earn less money. Uh, But more importantly, their revenue was down a billion dollars, $1.1 billion. So AMD makes chips. So I have to sit here and ask myself, well, they're selling a lot less chips. Does that hurt PCs? Does that hurt phones? Does that hurt this? Does that hurt that? So I think uh, AMD is not the last pre-announcement. Uh, but again, pre-announcements are generally negative and and hurt stocks. So AMD came out yesterday and said, man, we missed it. The quarter was, we thought the quarter was bad. It was really, really bad. So we'll see. We'll see what comes. It's it, it's going to be an interesting earnings season.
1: Very interesting. Well, folks, a lot of uncertain time. Thank you, Michael, for all the research, all the work that you do. Um, I know personally in my circles, the buzz of what you're talking about and more importantly people are saying you know what where's the opportunity and that's what you know that's our whole intent is not to scare but to really just be aware okay the economy's shifting real estate markets are shifting interest rates money markets are all changing where do we find opportunity in all of this so any last words on this show today about opportunities in this shifting market
0: yeah again what i want to tell people is opportunity lives behind fear Uh, everybody listening to this has always thought, Hey, the next time there's a recession, I'm going to make my moves. Realize, uh, that folks like Ty and I, we're going to make a lot of moves. We're going to put less money to work and get more, you know, more deals. Uh, but a lot of people are already getting scared. And if you get scared and do nothing, you're going to miss it. I don't ask you to write deals. I ask you to do the work. That's all I want. Do the work, understand average and do great deals. The best way to beat fear is to do the work. That's all I want you to do. I can't promise a deal. I can't promise a return on your time, but damn it, if you build that muscle of keeping the do the work and networking, you'd be shocked at what you can, you can accomplish in the next couple of years.
1: I love it, folks, you heard it here. Do the work. So, Michael, as always, thank you. I want to encourage everybody there, everybody out there watching right now, or if you're watching or listening to this, do yourself a favor. follow Michael, one rental at a time, social media. The best content, I believe, on YouTube at one rental at a time. Also, too, I've got to say, I've noticed something with you, Michael, working with you now for more than a year. Your commitment to innovate, your commitment to over deliver to the community. Uh, Michael's working on some things. We've been working on some events, event for November. We've talked about it before. Now, potentially, it's a couple of events that potentially may happen. So, So stay tuned. There's more to come. Michael, thank you for all that you do. Have a great weekend, my friend. Got it. Take care.